Good morning. Before I go any further, I just want to do a sound test. Terry Hutchinson, can you hear me? <laughs> Stony faced. He's not impressed. I just need to check. Can you hear me, Terry? You can. Good. If you ever can't, just give me a wave. So why am I up here this morning? Well, uh, of course, there's a practical reason. Uh, that is that David needed to travel up to Queensland to support Bev. And uh, earlier in the week when we heard about this, uh, I said to him, look, if there's anything that we can do to help, just let us know. And then later in the week we did hear that he needed to travel and I found myself needing to be uh, to honour that commitment to just do what I could to help. This year, Rob and I have been uh, leading a young adults Bible class in Bible study fellowship, and we've been looking at the life of Moses. So I've got a fair bit of material to draw on, uh, but this morning I'm just going to uh, try and skip a stone across three particular points in the book of Exodus which really looks at uh, the transformation of Moses and his uh, spiritual journey in that as he uh, got to know God more and as God nurtured his relationship with him. It's interesting uh, that this morning we've just announced the 40 days in the Word and Josh has just mentioned how much that is about transformation. So although there is some randomness about me being up here. Uh, perhaps there's some provision in the sovereignty of God as well. So we're going to look at uh, these three points in Moses' spiritual journey. Uh, the first will be in chapter 2 uh, of Exodus and then the second will be in chapter 33 and then the third in chapter 34. And I'm characterising each of these points with a single word. Uh, the first is confusion. The second is conviction. And the third is confirmation. So those correspond to uh, three parts of Moses' journey. The first being where he had an unmet need and he was confused in that. The second being coming to a point where he was able to articulate what it was that that need was. And then the third is the point where he gained a confirmation of that need and supply of that need by God. So first of all now, uh, looking at that first section on confusion, Moses' unmet need. And we're looking here at Exodus 2, starting with verse 11. In this section we see that uh, Moses, although brought up in the wealth and privilege and glories and security of the Egyptian royal court, really didn't find his heart captured by that. So Exodus 2.11 says, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to meet to where his own people were and watched them. Uh, Brent, are you here? Yes. Now, from a young person's perspective, what would you say they would say if they were here and I asked, what does grown up mean? What age does that mean? Uh, if you're asking a kid, they'd probably get anything north of 20. If you're asking a teenager, probably anything north of 
right. And I think that's, that would be a common sort of perception. Normally we would think of early 20s as being grown up. But Acts 7.23 tells us that Moses was actually now, at this point, 40 years old. He was already beyond the life expectancy of your average ancient Egyptian. So he was really quite grown up. He was grown up in the sense that he had experienced all of the pleasures of Egypt and he had uh, had the opportunity to make a bit of reflection on that, make a bit of an assessment of where that was going to take him. Today we have uh, a well-known term, midlife crisis. Perhaps that's where Moses was at. Moses had experienced all of these pleasures and the glories of Egypt and he was still young enough to find them tempting. And yet um, he also seemed to perceive their great cost. Now the social cost of slavery was plain enough for everybody to see. But I wonder if there was something else that was nagging at him, uh, disturbing him, uh, disturbing his soul. An older, wiser Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes said that pursuits that are pleasant um, are often fleeting and ultimately meaningless unless we first know the God who bestows blessings upon us. So it's God's goodness itself that brings us the greatest pleasure when we're in a healthy relationship with him. It's a bit like the difference between love and desire. Love is based on a profound respect and a commitment and it endures, whereas desire is, doesn't have that solid foundation and it dissipates, it's temporary. So when we lack that deep knowledge of God's goodness and how it endures, Our soul just aches. We know that there's something missing and we feel empty. We can seemingly fill our lives with pleasures and accomplishments that can give us hits of satisfaction, hits of temporary fulfilment. But when the music stops that emptiness just comes back. That ache comes back. So that can happen to us even when our satisfaction can come from the church. It can come from doing good work. And Jesus helped Martha to understand that uh, when he went into her home. She was busy with so many preparations that she was distracted from just sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his words. So Robin's reading might have seemed quite uh, detached or disconnected from a, a talk on the life of Moses, but really what we're looking at this morning is Moses' transformation. And the way that he was transformed was by listening to God's word, being in relationship with him, Moving on to 
the second point here. Uh, Moses' heart was already moving towards the Hebrews, away from the Egyptians, when he went out to see his people. Two times in verse 11, Moses makes reference to his own people. And when in the Bible we see a repetition, we know that there is an emphasis. So Moses was feeling a deep connection to his people. He recognised the hardness of their labour. And in compassion, he really wanted to help them. He had the training that he received in the royal court of Egypt and perhaps his mother had uh, trained him at an early age about uh, the history of the Israelites and uh, the prophecy that there would be one who would uh, lead them to freedom. Perhaps he was aware that the time was approaching. And in Acts 7.25 we're told that Moses uh, felt that the Hebrews would understand that God was using him to liberate them. So that's where he was coming from at this point in time. So he saw one of his people being beaten by an Egyptian and his compassion was tweaked and and he responded in action. His compassion was a practical compassion. He knew that killing an Egyptian was something that would have direct consequences if he was seen. So he looked this way, he looked that way to see if anybody was watching and he thought there wasn't. So he took action, he killed this Egyptian and he buried him hoping that he would get away with it. By doing that Moses outwardly rejected that which he had already inwardly rejected. This Egyptian culture of oppression. He would have fully understood at this point in Egypt and the Hebrews' history the consequences if he was to be found out. The Hebrews at this point were at the weakest point that they had experienced in their time in Egypt, having fallen from the heights of Joseph's leadership as the Prime Minister of Egypt, now to cruel oppression. Despite rejecting the privileges of Egyptian royalty, the Hebrews, probably not according to Moses' plan here, rejected Moses himself. When Moses challenged a Hebrew who was wrongly hitting a fellow Hebrew, the man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Now the man that posed this question was posing a legitimate question about the authority by which Moses was exercising um, judgment over him. In his thoughts and actions, Moses was still more like an Egyptian than he was a Hebrew. He was trying to lead through personal power, thinking that capability and opportunity were all that was required to take command. 
It's possible that uh, Moses' education and training went as far as leading a military campaign in the hills of Ethiopia. We know that from a historical text uh, by Josephus. So if that's true, then he would have gained the confidence and the ability to naturally step in and try and take command. But no matter how great our education is, no matter how great our training, no matter how great our lineage, if we don't do things in God's will and we don't do things in God's power, they're not destined to succeed. If we're going to do work for God, we have to do it from within a healthy relationship with God. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its, la- uh, its builders labour in vain. And in Zechariah 4.6, God says that spiritual work is achieved not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. So God will achieve his plan in his way, in his timing. Summarising this section in chapter 2, this first point of the stone skip on the pond, Moses experienced a midlife identity crisis. He had been brought up as an Egyptian, but now he identified with God's people, the Hebrews. He wanted to be their leader, but he didn't yet know or understand their God, and nor did they understand him. So what a time of confusion for Moses. Knowing that he didn't fit with the Egyptians, and now knowing that he didn't fit with the people that he felt was his own, the Hebrews. So Moses might now have felt like he'd lost just about everything. He'd lost his privilege, his wealth and status in Egypt. He would have had to have fled quickly. And if he had to flee quickly, then he wouldn't have been able to take much with him. He might have felt that he lost his identity. He was neither Egyptian nor Hebrew. He'd lost his good conscience and his reputation. He was now to be known as a murderer. And he'd lost his security. His crime had become known to Pharaoh and Pharaoh wanted to kill him. The truth that I can isolate out of this first chapter is that drawing near to God involves letting go of substitutes. So whether that be identity, whether that be wealth and status, whatever it is that is first in our lives needs to become not first so that God in time can become first. Can you think of a time where you lacked belonging? We don't have uh, youth in here at the moment but if they were here I wonder if any of them might be sensing an identity challenge and I wonder if you can relate back to a time in your younger days when you too went through that kind of transition phase. So will you take heart from Moses' example? You know, I think all of us here know what the rest of the story is already. Uh, you know 
that God had a plan for Moses and even though he went through a time of crisis, God had already foreseen it and he had a plan to take Moses from crisis to a commitment to a solid relationship. So now let's skip across all the way through to chapter 33. In between, in the chapters um, that we aren't looking at, uh, you can find that Moses spent 40 years in the desert of a place called Midian, living quietly without any expectation of any significance in the remainder of his life. But God had begun a process in Moses and this process of change would take a long time. He needed to be prepared to serve humbly and to know that it was God who would provide uh, the resources and the capability and the change around him and amidst the Hebrews um, to facilitate the liberation of his people. In no way was any of that liberation um, to be seen by Moses as being due to his capability. The Apostle Paul similarly had to spend three years in preparation in the desert to be ready to serve the Lord Jesus. We know that making good cheese and making good wine also takes time. However, earnestly we are to serve Uh, God, we must also have patience in allowing God to change us. Meanwhile, God heard cries from the Israelites who were still there back in Egypt. Forty years this oppression had continued. So now uh, God called Moses. God made himself known. He revealed himself to Moses. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. He had promised to uh, multiply their descendants and give them a land where they could be in relationship with their God without interruption and with security. And at just the right time he called Moses into his service to lead his people out of Egypt. Moses, having been humbled, was no longer as quick to take action as he had been in Egypt. He had lost confidence in his own capability. And as yet, he still had not built a relationship with God. He had not yet seen God's power in action. And so as yet, he didn't yet have the faith and the trust to be able to step out knowing that it was God who would provide the capabilities to liberate these people. But God gently shepherded Moses. He encouraged him. And little by little, he demonstrated his power to save. He dissolved Moses' excuses. Moses said he was one of faltering lips. Why would Pharaoh listen to him? Why would the Hebrews listen to him? And God said, well, I'll give you your brother Aaron and you can speak through him. I'll speak to you, I'll speak through you and in turn you'll speak through Aaron. 
I wonder if there's something that you may have sensed uh, as you've spent time in prayer uh, that God might be letting you know um, there is an opportunity for you to serve in the church but you don't yet have the confidence to step out and do that. If you are sensing that, will you trust that God will provide the capability to be able to fulfil that? If it is a genuine prompting from God, then God will provide. Now looking at uh, verses 12 to 18 of chapter 33, here we see that God revealed himself more and more as Moses trusted in him more. As Moses saw God work in freeing his people from Egypt and sustaining them in the desert, his relationship with God grew at the tent of meeting in Sinai, the base of Mount Sinai. Uh, This is after the golden calf incident where Moses had gone up the mountain to receive the law and in the meantime, uh, because he was away for 40 days and nights, uh, the Hebrew people saw the opportunity to go back to their Egyptian ways and decided to worship a golden calf as if that were God. So at the tent of meeting, after that incident, um, Moses had a very important conversation with God. Moses said uh, quite boldly to God because now he was in quite a direct relationship with him. You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not told me whom you will send with me. Moses was here really wanting a deeper understanding of how God would protect his people. One thing that Moses had already learnt was there was no way he was going to succeed by himself looking after these people. He really needed God's help. So he was reaching out for it. Moses said, If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. So here you have that theme of relationship coming through again and this continuing progression and depth of relationship. Moses has come to know more of God and having gained that knowledge and confidence, he wants to reach even further. Moses had come to depend on God's help and he wanted to know how he could retain it. And God said, God had said that he would not go with Israel from Mount Sinai with uh, these Hebrews because of their unfaithful idolatry with that golden calf. The reason why God had said he would not go with them was a gracious reason. He knew that these unfaithful Hebrews might just do something that would provoke his wrath again and in his justice he would be provoked into a further judgement. But Moses knew that without God they had no hope anyway. He'd come to learn that in his personal relationship with God. So he said, remember, this is your people. Now remember that repetition back in chapter 2 where in verse 11, twice, Moses said that this was his people. Moses had been transformed already. He'd come to the point of realising 
that the reason the Hebrews hadn't recognised him as their leader was in fact God was their leader. And by saying remember that these are your people God, Moses called on God to abide with Israel because of his promises to Jacob or Israel as he was otherwise known. So he was praying skillfully and knowledgeably and on the basis of God's character, knowing that God is good, knowing that God is faithful, that he follows through on his commitments to his people. Moses also argued for God's presence by highlighting that without God, his people would be no different to any of the other peoples around them. Without God, Moses realised that the Hebrews would remain just like the Egyptians from a spiritual perspective. They would have no more hope, they would have no more integrity and they would have no more honour than the Egyptians who had oppressed them. Being oppressed hadn't made them any more worthy of God but what it had done was make them more open to God. So then the Lord responded, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He was responding warmly to Moses' fervent prayer. When we have God's presence, we also have rest and peace. Is that your desire for your relationship with God, that you have spiritual security? When we're working for the Lord, we should above all else seek his presence to be in relationship with him. Anything that we do outside of relationship with him is going to be misdirected. Without him working for us, if we're in service for him, even though we think it's for him, we're going to get really tired and we're going to get tired really fast. With this warm response from God, Moses goes even further. He seeks even more closeness with his Lord. Now he says, now show me your glory. And glory, in in Hebrew, glory is like gravitas. It's like the weightiness or the significance of God's character. It's the sum of all his glorious attributes. Moses now understood that God wanted to have as deep a relationship with him as Moses could bear. So he courageously asked for his heart's desire. This was where Mary already was in the passage that Robin read out. She already realised that the most important thing she could do was just sit and listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. And God, incarnate in the form of Jesus, wanted Martha to be in that same place and he gently helped her to understand that she had just been distracted by all this busyness and that really she just needed to be quiet and listen and be transformed. Is this your heart's deepest and most profound desire? Or might there be some extent to which in your service in the church 
There is some distraction, some busyness. In the section we've seen that as God revealed more of himself, Moses trusted him more. And as Moses trusted him more, God revealed more of himself. It's a great reinforcing cycle. And what a time of spiritual awakening for Moses. He'd gone from that state of confusion back in chapter 2 to now being fully engaged in relationship with God. The truth that I can see in this passage is that God rewards time spent getting to know him. How will you reserve time to meet this week regularly with God? We talk about quiet times and sometimes it can become um, routine. But how will you preserve time to be able to just sit and listen to God's word not necessarily to do it as something that's like work, but to do it as something that is energising and life-giving. What will you ask God to do through this congregation so that you and others in this community and possibly others overseas might come to know our glorious God more? We have this joy and we want to share it. Now we skip not as far as we did last time, we're just moving to another scene within um, the nearby story. Now into verses 5 to 10 of chapter 34 where we see the Lord's amazing response, his amazingly gracious and glorious response to Moses' request, now show me your glory. In verses 5 to 7, God reveals more of himself to Moses through his word, primarily through his word, what it is that he speaks, and partly by sight. Moses said, now show me, and God spoke. As God has promised, he came down in a cloud and identified himself by proclaiming his name, the Lord, the Lord. The overriding characteristic that God emphasised was his compassionate grace founded on his abounding love and faithfulness and yet without ignoring justice. I found it interesting that the Hebrew root word for compassion in Hebrew is actually womb. That tells us that God has a deep mother-like nurturing affection God is not bound by the smallness of the definitions of our pronouns. He is God, but God is bigger than our preconceptions of who he is. He is complete in his ability to care for us. God has freely chosen to bear the pain that believers in him cause him and yet still uphold justice through the Lord Jesus. So he revealed his glory for Moses. And then Moses took confidence from that. In this deepening relationship, he went on and called on God's grace. He trusted God's proclamation of his character. 
But of course the first thing that he did was just bow down immediately and worship God. He put faith in the truth of God's declarations about himself and that's why Moses sought forgiveness for Israel and assurance that God himself would go with them on their journey to Canaan. He asked God to accept Israel as his inheritance by forgiving their wickedness and their sin. He sought forgiveness not just for their sin, but if you look at the text in detail, he even sought forgiveness of their underlying condition or disposition to sin. And he asked that on the basis of the favour that he had found in God's eyes, which sprang from his faith in God. Not from his works, but from his belief in God's declaration of his character. His favour was sufficient for God to forbear the sin of the Israelites on this journey up to Canaan. But we know from New Testament revelation that it was only Jesus' favour, the perfect man, God incarnate, that would be sufficient for forgiveness of sin. In verse 10, God reconfirms his covenant with Israel through Moses for his own glory. God said he was making or reconfirming his covenant with Israel through Moses and likewise today we have a new covenant with the Lord through our Lord Jesus Christ. God promised to do wonders never before done in any nation in all of the world and this would be for his glory showing how great his grace was to Israel. Summarising this third section, seeing and believing in God's goodness, Moses had boldly sought to see his glory. God answered Moses with compassion and grace, abounding with love and faithfulness. He revealed as much of himself as he could without Moses dying. So what a time of spiritual assurance for Moses. Through Moses, God initiated a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel that would find fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ, the full sacrificial embodiment of God's grace to us. So this person who had been in identity crisis, felt like he had lost everything, but who had at least given up the Egyptian oppressive culture, now had come to a point of full assurance in his relationship with God. And that is, I think, the goal that we all need to have, that full spiritual assurance, confidence in God's character and ability to save us. So the truth that I can take from this passage is that to those who seek him, God shows his character and glory through his word. Moses said, show me, and God spoke. God's word is embodied in his son, Jesus. Do you have deep assurance of knowing God through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Will you receive the Lord's grace and compassionate commitment to you through Jesus if you haven't already done that? How will you make time to sit and receive God's word and just be amazed by his glory this week? In conclusion, Moses perceived the emptiness of the Egyptian culture. He abandoned it with noble aspirations, but still human aspirations. 
before knowing God as his personal Lord and Saviour. Drawing near to God involves letting go of substitutes. God nurtured Moses' relationship with him and showed him his trustworthiness in displaying these amazing acts of power and grace as he liberated his people from Egypt, took them uh, through the sea, leaving the Egyptians awash behind them and uh, providing for them in the desert and allowing Moses to know more of who his character was. So God rewards time spent getting to know him. He rewards our, our motions towards him, our requests to know him more. And Moses came to understand his need, his personal need of God and his grace and boldly asked to see God's glory. To those who seek him, God shows his character and glory through his word. So God fulfilled Moses' humble yet bold request, giving Moses eternal assurance and deep joy. Moses' life shows us that God has power to transform us and others, regardless of our distance from him initially. So wherever you are today in your relationship with Christ, what I hope is that this skip across the book of Exodus has given you encouragement and maybe uh, just a prompting to seek God afresh and to just sit and preserve time for God to be able to respond to you in that request. So with that, let's uh, close and then we can enjoy some coffee together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you because of your character. You have shown us that you are compassionate and abounding with love, that you are faithful, that you are powerful, that you are gracious, that you have a plan and we have a saviour. We thank you that you did uh, endure the condition of the flesh and the oppression of sin that was cast upon you on the cross. And we just pray that as we seek you this week that you will provide time for us and that in that we will be obedient to sitting in that time and just hearing more of you and growing closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.